This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you this morning eager to hear from you. May the truth and beauty of your gospel resonate deeply in our hearts this morning. Amen. Please be seated. I have a do-it-yourself kind of personality. Not so much in the artistic sense, but more along the lines of, if I can figure out a cheaper way to do that myself, I will. So when Josh and I got engaged to be married as totally broke college students, we undertook the enormous task of a do-it-yourself wedding. So we rented a totally empty barn, no decor or supplies whatsoever. We crafted table centerpieces. We bought our own paper and had our invitations printed at the FedEx office. We worked tirelessly, which meant our poor family and friends and bridal party also worked tirelessly to pull off this event. The morning of our wedding, Josh and his groomsmen were in the bar hanging string lights from the rafters while our musician friends were setting up their instruments and their sound equipment at our ceremony site in the woods. It was an enormous amount of work, and it turned out beautifully. And one thing I remember so clearly was how cheerfully people did their part. And maybe it's just because I was the bride, so no one wanted to complain in front of me. But there was a sense in which the work felt small in comparison to the magnitude, the significance of this day. And I don't think that I'm just romanticizing either, because I've been on the other side of it. Once Josh and I were cutting grass and clearing away brush in a field less than 24 hours before our friends would get married there. And while that was not exactly fun, there was this sense that this is worth it. Whatever we can do to make this day beautiful, to help celebrate this momentous event happening for this bride and groom. There is some bridal party wedding imagery nestled into our gospel reading today. Did you catch it? We're on the side of the Jordan River. John the Baptist is baptizing, and he has his disciples with him, but also at the Jordan, this new rabbi, Jesus, is there, also with his disciples, and also baptizing. And he's drawing a bigger crowd. And something about this doesn't sit right with John's disciples. So we read in John 3, 26, they came to John and said, Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you testified, here he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, no one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. And here's what I want to highlight, the, the wedding imagery. John says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. 
John recognizes Jesus as the groom, the, the rightful focus for this point in human history. And he places himself in the role of best man. My job, he says, is to set up chairs and make sure people need, get to where they need to go. This is not about me. This day is about him. John is exactly the kind of best man you want to have at your wedding, right? He's totally got the right attitude. And when we consider his background, where he came from, we realize that in a very real way, John was created for this role. See, John was someone who knew who he was. With the camel hair clothes and the famous diet, he had a deep sense of security in his identity. He was destined from the get-go to be used by God for a particular purpose destined even before the get-go, if you're counting the prophecies given to his parents. During John's lifetime, there was to be a climactic moment in God's salvation story, and John was undeniably called to be a part of it. This was the prophecy given to his father, Zechariah. Your son will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Imagine growing up in a household where this is proclaimed about you. I think if it were me, I might have made some enemies on the playground <laughs> with my attitude. But when we meet John, we don't see an ounce of childish pride in fact, he stands in total assurance of his identity, which is primarily defined in terms of who he was not. See, John's entire life consisted in pointing forward to someone greater than himself. From the beginning, he is not the center. He's a path paver, going in the spirit and power of Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. See, John's message was, God is moving, so turn your hearts to him. In today's gospel, when the crowds start deserting John to follow this new rabbi, Jesus, John says, good, they should. This isn't about me, it's about him. And then we have this beautiful, poignant quote, he must increase and I must decrease. Or as some translations have it, he must become greater, and I must become less. John knew he wasn't the one. There was someone about to bring all of creation to its knees, but it was not John. Yet we see from John this deep assurance in who he was, and he uses this imagery of the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, if you will, to communicate how he understood his identity. And many of us can probably relate to this. If you've ever been a bridesmaid or a groomsman, you know it's the epitome of something not being about you. You use your vacation time, spend your money, set up chairs, and herd unruly relatives, all for the sake of others, for the bride and the groom. But have you ever attended a wedding where someone in the wedding party doesn't seem to get that concept? I've been to multiple weddings where the best man stands up to give a toast 
And the next thing you know, you've listened to eight minutes of this guy telling stories about himself, making jokes that don't really land, all in this sort of sad attempt to own the attention. This kind of self-centeredness is so off-putting on a wedding day, isn't it? It's so out of place. It misses the point of what a best man is supposed to be doing, highlighting the happy couple, paving the way for others to celebrate them. So the best man or the maid of honor has a supporting role by design. And John the Baptist excelled in this role. He was thrilled to point his disciples to Jesus. In fact, two of Jesus' twelve were originally John the Baptist's disciples. John didn't care if people knew his name at the end of the day. He cared that they knew that there, across the Jordan, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was content to be a witness-bearer to the salvation of his people, Israel. He said that was his joy. This is a groomsman with the right perspective. The way John saw his role as witness-bearer to Christ on the side of the Jordan is quite a challenge to us today as witness-bearers to Christ in Pittsburgh or wherever it is that we reside. As we celebrate Advent, we lean into this sort of double meaning of this season. Right? We wait and long with Israel for the arrival of their Messiah to redeem the world while living in our own season of anticipation as we wait for the fullness of this redemption when Christ comes again. We, very much like John, bear witness to a person who is present and living and working around us. So the question is, like John, are we willing to decrease so that he might increase among us? Is my life one of redirecting the attention, fading into the background? Or am I like a foolish groomsman who stands too long with the microphone and telling stories about myself? This is a lesson I have been learning for years. One of my professors in seminary taught us how to do breath prayers, these small, whispered, few-word prayers that accompany your inhale and your exhale. A common one is to pray the, the sinner's prayer, to breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, and breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, this professor encouraged us to write our own breath prayers. Do you know what mine is? He must become greater. I must become less. Because I know it's my tendency to make it about me. Even in ministry, part of me longs to have the glory. So John the Baptist's statement is my life prayer. Another practice that has been helpful to me is to read the Litany of Humility, a Roman Catholic prayer. I have it taped to my window um, above the kitchen sink to pray while I wash dishes, which is a humbling place to be anyways. And you might recognize the prayer. Here are a few excerpts. Deliver me, O Jesus, from the desire of being esteemed, from the desire of being loved, from the desire of being praised, from the desire of being preferred to others, 
Deliver me, O Jesus, from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being forgotten. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire that others may be loved more than I, that others may be chosen and I set aside, that others may be praised and I unnoticed, and that others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. This is a hard prayer for me to pray and really mean, if I'm honest. I don't quite know how John the Baptist embodied this attitude like he did. This kind of humility goes against every ounce of our sinful inclinations, doesn't it? But it reveals the truth that there is joy in bearing witness to something amazing. There is joy in fading back so that the light of Christ shines ever more brightly as he does what is his to do on his day. Perhaps that's why we're reading this story about John the Baptist on the Sunday in Advent designated for joy. Yet there comes a point when we're talking about spiritual things that every analogy or illustration we use eventually falls short. And that's because no image or parable can quite capture the gospel in its entirety. So yes, on one level, you and I stand with John the Baptist as the maids of honor and the best men on the side of the Jordan, standing as, as Jesus Christ is exalted together with his bride. But what about the one who laments, always the bridesmaid, never the bride? The picture of the single woman or man who has stood by countless friends and family members, celebrating their love stories, all the while deep down wishing for their own. Maybe that's you, and that ache is real. Friends of mine have stood by me on my wedding day five years ago and have still not gotten their love story, and they feel it. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And yet, here's the good news. All of us have an even more important role at the most significant wedding ever. The scriptures testify of a day that all of human history is leading up to, a great event, a wedding between Christ the groom and his bride. The day where their union is made complete, a day of great joy and celebration and wholeness. And on this great wedding day, you and I are not only bridesmaids and groomsmen. We don't just cheer on our friends as they covenant their lives to their beloved. In a shocking turn of events, you and I are the beloved. The people for whom Christ came to redeem and heal and unite to himself. We are his bride, the church. That is the scandal of the gospel, the absurdity. Christ exalts us to his place. He humbled himself, leaving his seat at the Father's side, taking on human flesh, tasting death. He decreased so that we might increase. He became human, mortal, suffered death, 
so that we could attain what we never could have attained on our own, membership in the family of God. Now Christ celebrates us with joy, bringing us before his Father, saying, look at my beloved without spot or wrinkle. See how much I delight in her. In our Isaiah reading this morning, it is the Lord who rejoices most profoundly on that wedding day. So delighted is he with the people he has redeemed. We are his joy. So we live with this twofold role of one being the best men and maids of honor who bear witness to the arrival of the bridegroom while also being the bride, the ones he arrived for. What are we to do with the tension between these two metaphors? Well, in our supporting role as maids of honor and as best men, we strive to be the best wedding party out there. In our actions, in our words, in our attitudes, in our prayers, we are path pavers. We fade back and point others to Christ. In the eyes of the world, we may amount to nothing. And that's kind of the point. John the Baptist was no celebrity success once Jesus arrived on the scene, and he meant it that way. He had such an assurance in who he was. His legacy stands as someone who for all his days pointed to someone greater and more magnificent than himself. And this was his joy. And in our other role as the bride, well, we don't grow weary in redirecting the glory to Christ. Because as we live out our witness, we know that our day is coming. We are preparing for it when we experience the fullness and celebration of being joined to Christ at the ultimate marriage supper. I still remember the months leading up to my wedding. That longing and anticipation was sheer agony, a bit like Advent. But the good news is, we don't sit idly by and wait for that day to arrive, because there is great preparation to be done in the waiting. Let's pray. Lord, send us forth as bridesmaids and groomsmen to live out our roles as witness bearers to the salvation found in you, Jesus, even as we long for that day that you will return for us, your bride, and our joy will be made complete. Amen.